Welcome to Reader's Guide to the Galaxy, featuring Alfredo, Lavender, Paws, Juice Lover, and literally whoever else decided to show up today. That's me! I'm here for this one, popcorn speaking. Uh, and plus me, Garfield. We will be discussing Shadow and Bone, the fantasy show on Netflix based on Leigh Bardugo's Grishaverse books on this, our duodenary episode. Pause, I swear, wait. No, you didn't write this. Curse you, juice lover. I'm taking credit this time. Hello, viewers, and welcome to our podcast. We're really excited about this one since most of us have been fans of the Grishaverse since practically middle school. And then there's me, who you all either enlighten or corrupted in high school, depending on who you ask. Yeah, that was my fault. I made her read it. Also, Grisha. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. It is a world where some people have special powers and they're called Grisha. Fun fact, Russian speakers might know that Grisha is a nickname for Grigori. So essentially these witches are called Greg. Even more fun is that this is canon. The Grisha are named after Saint Grigori, who is essentially based on Grigori Rasputin. This fact is included for the 0.01% of apparently listeners in Russia. Apparently. I'm sure they're, they're very devoted fans. Anyway, the Netflix show follows Alina Sarkov, a map maker with Ravka's first army. But don't worry, she's not like other girls. Also, if you guys ever get confused about what Ravka is or, or any other thing, or if you need context, anything, you can check out our previous podcast on Six of Crows. No, don't. Read the book. Watch the show. Just do it, guys. Just do it. Okay, 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 okay. Calm down. But We're honestly, already doing the podcast. Calm down, man. I am just very excited to see Juiced in season two. I want you to sign my petition. That's character. All right, let's just save it. Let's just save it for the end, okay? Ooh, are we doing fangirling in the end? I'm ready. Me too! This is my own personal hell. Anyway, Alina Starkov, our main character, our chosen one, so to speak, is actually has some pretty unique world-saving powers up her sleeve. <laughs> Literally. And the rest of the universe don't realize it until she's set on a ship to cross the dark and dangerous fold. The what? The fold is like this scary, dark place filled with monsters that will eat you. Alina's parents died in the fold. And I really want to make a joke here, but I'm pretty sure we get demonetized. What monetization? I'm, I'm saying this in general. Like, this is I like know, a, but what monetization? We're it's broke. We're <laughs> broke recent high school graduates. Not even college grads. Money is the not the only monetization thing we have. Okay, and the fold is right down the middle of Ravka, which makes it really hard for East Ravka to get supplies on the other side of the fold. And they need to send little ships across and hope for the best. And Alina and her bud Mal, 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 have been assigned to one of these ships. So romantic. Deadly date. Here we come. Or at oh, least yes. that's that's how it is in the book more than it is in the not movie tv show in the tv show it's a little more convoluted as is most things meanwhile anyway on the opposite side of the fold we have the other characters in this show it's our favorite murder babies the three original crows are hanging out doing their thing trying to get a head start on a very promising gig i see someone is correcting because I used the wrong there when I... You used the wrong there? Fine, that's acceptable. I was also bothered by it. If you all didn't know, the in- entire not, quote-unquote non-spoiler section is scripted. scripted. Surprise! We Wowie! 
Really? We literally talk about the script every single episode. This should not be a surprise. Okay. Kaz is being very angsty. Inej is being very sneaky and amazing. We love her. And Jesper is shooting things and looking good. And having a colossal gambling addiction that caused him to drop out of college. But that's fine. I'm sure it will never negatively affect his ability to do his job or his friends or any other of his life decisions and goals. He he had college? He dropped out of college. Yep. He's a college dropout. He went to he went to Ketterdam um, as like to, to get a, a education for some sort, and then he dropped out because he gambled all his money away. I did not know this. Was this in the books? Yeah, it was in Crooked Kingdom. Yeah. He gambles away oh. his father's loan on the. Oh, oh. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure it's nothing a little goat therapy can't cure. Okay, that spoiler section for the show. Milo needs a spoiler. Non- yes. Pause. That it's the non-spoiler section. Just finished. We have not done the spoiler section yet. You're now entering the spoiler section. Be warned. There will be spoilers. And this is my horrible, I don't know what this is accent. My apologies. Mea copa. A dozen. We've done a dozen of these and everyone has a spoiler warning. Except maybe the first You're one. having trouble clicking away before there are spoilers, please take the time to do so while Lavender makes some goat noises. <laughs> Lavender's goat noise. Yeah, how do you do that? Please excuse me while I go die. So, what do we like about this book? Show. I feel like we got the book pretty covered, but the show. I'm very used to doing this for a book, and this is the only one we've ever done for a show. I'm not. I'm new at this. Anyway, it's not like it's not like this Reader's Guide to the Galaxy or anything. Fair point. We had to make an exception. True. All right. Okay. For context, as obsessed as I am with Supernatural, um, Juice Lover is like that with Shadow and Bone, but worse. Like she's so hyper fixated. She's been writing more essays than I do. And for once, I'm not the crazy movie person. This is the greatest week of my life. It's not true. We're both crazy. Yes. Yeah, I know how to handle it. This is your first one, nerd. (laughs) We're all nerds here. Look, if we're making this podcast, we're automatically nerds, okay? We have a podcast about books. Books! It could have been a D&D podcast. Yeah, but for that, we'd have to know how to play D&D. I do not know how to play D&D. It doesn't make any sense. Me neither. Anyway. I liked the crows. They were spot on. I I saw a lot of comments about how nicely they were casted, and I would agree. Oh, yeah. I I agree with that. I... I just, I love the the casting period was done so, like, each actor, from what I've seen of both their interviews and how they act, they are, like, perfect for the role that they were cast in. Like, I genuinely think my favorite story is that one of the things that Ben Barnes put on his interview was this, like, Tumblr fan edit of him, because he's a very popular fan cast sparkling on Tumblr, and he brought in one of those, like, we don't know which one, he brought one in and he's like, yes, here is my, um, resume for playing this part um here tumblr want me to be the darkling and now he's the darkling uh he also apparently messaged his co-stars because he's a solid decade older than all of them he messaged all of them that like one gift like listen i'm a decade older than all of you please invite me to dinner we are alone here in budapest i am begging you give please invite me to things and now he's the team dad i love how they love it part of it is probably marketing but i really do love how they all seem to A, be, like, friends with each other because they spent so much time, like, in a foreign country together. 
and B, that they seem to really understand and love the original characters and the original book. Like, especially like Kaz, um, Freddie Carter seems to like really be a Kaz fanboy. True. I know I talked to Juice Lover about this before. How true to the book those scenes are when Nina is arguing with Tyus on the ice. Oh my gosh. It's, yeah. The characters are so accurate and they're so funny. And Nina's personality is so strong. And Matthias is hysterical. And I will say it's good. And I will say that, like, since I don't have the inner angst of like Matthias, and that's I think what turned me off is that he angsts a lot and that's really annoying. Like, without the inner angst, they're just really cute. Like, I think that was my same thing with Gentleman's Guide is like there was too much angst from the funness of the character. Now, Matthias is like very fun, and you know, Matthias are among my favorites. I, I like them all. Yeah. They're so cute because you could just, they're, they're so cute. Moment of silence for respect of Nina and Matthias' character dynamic perfection. And I loved, I also loved how that kind of like set an idea of how, because the whole thing, I guess the Shadow and Bone takes place before Six of Crows, whatever. I have read Six of Crows in those books, but not Shadow and Bone. Um, I guess it, it, the whole Nina and Matthias interaction kind of gave like a good idea of when like those, the Six of Crows events took place like relative to Shadow and Bone. Because I think in the Six of Crows books, it mentions that the stuff was, that sort of stuff. So I think it kind of lines it up nicely, which I don't, which I don't think is actually true with the books, but it kind of gives us a, an idea of how future seasons will go, I guess, now that I realize. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like it sets up some of the stuff that, you know, is going to be needed for Chad, for Six of Crows. And they also quietly set up Wyland. Like they mentioned a demolitions expert. They mentioned Jesper, Jesper specifically asking for a demolitions expert. Very subtle, but they're like, okay, listen. There's one guy who does explosives and they're going to use explosives. How about we just sneak in some Wylan in there? Just like a little bit. Just just a little bit. Give I, me my Wylan in the next season, I swear. He's getting casted. Him and Nikolai are going to be in season two, officially. That's confirmed. Let's go. Yeah. I want Whisper. <laughs> I also really love the original characters that they developed for the show, like Arkin and uh, especially Milo. My baby, Milo, is this <laughs> little goat, and I think he is the best. That's what I have to say about him. He and Jesper are the most iconic duo of them all. I do okay. think they were told to add in an animal sidekick, but I don't think they were expecting people to like him that much. Yeah, I also <laughs> just like all the memes about the stag being like overshadowed by Milo incredible i mean that's not even wrong though it's like is the stag plot relevant yes but is he cute no i mean yes but like also, no yeah. it's too majestic for cute it's true also when, when kazzy and Ezra are just kind of like in the wet like they're going through the fold and they're like in the wagon and they're just kind of at the wet at the ready for like whatever's coming and then jesper's just like in the corner just curled up with milo just <laughs> trying to like calm himself he's like oh so fluffy so fluffy and i loved how they set him up i know other people have said this before but um they set up Jesper as Grisha because you see like his pupils dilate and he's raising the gun when they're in the wagon crossing the fold and then he shoots the monster and it's like this very impossible, very Grisha moment. And then he goes back, picks up Milo, sits down and goes back to hugging Milo. Yes. Also, there are things that seem at first like maybe they're plot holes or like oh, it's very lucky that this is happening at this specific time. When Inej has to escape the locked room with the plans and Jesper shoots the lock and the clock chimes at the exact same time it's like 
oh, well, that's lucky that that happened at the same time. But if you take into consideration his Grisha powers, he could be manipulating the clock so that it chimes at the same time, or at the very least, he could sense when it was going to chime. For the context, um, in the books, it is confirmed that he is a fabricator type of Grisha. So So, uh, I think that would be a good time to have a recrash course. So there's three types, corporealki, etherealki, and materialki. So corporealki can do like body magic. Uh, They can either heal you or take control of parts of your heart and body and like control it, kind of like bloodbending. Materialki are the ones that Jesper is. They can control materials around them. And uh, etherealki are effectively like the benders from Avatar. They can control certain types of nature. Okay, cool. The fact that you know, know how to pronounce all of those is something I greatly admire you for. I'm, I was just I, guessing, but like, I'm, I'm always going to be really angry that I understand that it's partially because British accents are seen as more refined or whatever. And so that's why they don't all have Eastern European accents. But like, I genuinely think that it would have been so much more fun to have all the Robkins have Eastern European accents because one, the way they pronounce stuff makes me angry. Like at some point, Ben Barnes is addressing the I know it's a darkling, but Ben Barnes is addressing the czar, the king, and he's like, Moitzar, it's like Moitz, like Moitzarista or something like that. And he says it in a British accent. They're Russian words. Yeah, he also calls him like Ivan instead of Ivan, which is like just That's super weird. weird, especially because Fedor, who I think does have an accent, calls him Ivan. And Fedor also says Ethereality at some point. Um, when he's in the carriage with Alina, I can go back and double check that that's how he says it, but I'm pretty sure that is how it's said. Because isn't Ivan kind of like the Eastern, like, someone please correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't like Ivan kind of like the Eastern European pronunciation of that name? Yes, no, it is. It's so this is one of the very few fantasy things where it's not based on Western Europe. It's one of the few things I've seen that is specifically set in Russia and, you know, fantasy set in Russia. And they pronounce it in British accents. I'm so angry. And like, WandaVision proved to us that Eastern European accents can be sexy and everybody there is hot enough to pull it off. I'm so angry. Mm -hmm. It just, it felt weird because also having a British accent be the default just feels so strange, especially because all the characters are coming from all over the this like fantasy world. Why would they all sound the same? Right. It's just yeah. it's a like, very Eurocentric perspective that yeah, is why do, also yeah, immediate. That's a good point. Yeah, and also it's the same for um Nina. Like the, her actress is Irish, I believe, and she has an Irish accent and she is she does use it a couple times in the show, but that's not like Nina's accent. She speaks for most of the show in a British accent and she only like uses the Irish accent because Nina has this affinity for languages to show that she could fit in with the equivalent of Ireland and like she could have been using her normal Irish accent throughout the show but instead it's played more of as a like almost like a token card kind of thing I don't know if that's the right word but it's like a hey look at this this is cool kind of thing rather than a oh she's actually kind of different from other people and you know people who maybe don't grow up in exactly the same place don't sound the same and have the same accent like I understand like Mal and Alina having similar accents because they grew up together but Inej and Kaz having like the same accent makes no it's sense. Suli. It's Suli and he's from Ketterdam. Doesn't make sense because like 
we know and like uh, isn't Kaz not originally like no one is really from Ketterdam yeah Jesper's a many she's Suli I don't know where he's from where's he I think both Jesper and Kaz are farm boys so they would have a completely different dialect oh yeah yeah Imagine Kaz with a southern accent. Oh, I genuinely think that's what he would have because, like, I think so. I know this is such a crack theory, but like, he specifically went to get the goat, and the next time we see the goat, it's on a leash, and Kaz is just like he's carrying the goat, and then the goat is on a leash. Like that man wanted to play with the goat and wanted to find a good reason, and that's why he told Jesper to like get the money. I that was the only reason why. I oh my god, can't change my mind. I agree, but also. Um, that's something very important. Even when people grow up in like what is technically like a Sorry, similar yeah. area, dialects based on I where you live are very important and very distinct. Like someone from Chicago is going to have a different way of speaking than someone from Peoria or someone from Springfield. And this is just in Illinois. Everyone sounds different based on where you grow up. Someone growing up in a city is going to sound drastically different from someone growing up on a farm. You even see this in Europe. Like, take, like, northern France versus southern France. Take, like, different parts of England. No one sounds the same. Sure, they might have similar, like, like, similar ways of pronouncing different words, but they're different. So for everyone to just essentially sound the same when many of them aren't even from the same place just doesn't make sense yeah there's like a um history of having like very standardized accents in media i think it's called like the mid-atlantic accent or the transatlantic accent it's transatlantic it is like the very specific thing you hear in old movies yeah and like no one actually talks like that it's just a version of English that's been set as a standard so that like it it just takes a lot of the uniqueness I would say out of like the different I I genuinely think that Shadow and Bone is like the consequence of having something that was very popular in the internet and like in certain spaces particularly like LGBT spaces Tumblr like very inclusive spaces like the inclusive parts of Tumblr but like my point is it's a very inclusive book and the mainstream is not. And I feel like the, what we're getting now is some kind of a translation error or is like they're taking it to try and adapt it as much as it can to appease the fans. But fantasy has always had the connotation, at least recently, of being British. That There's that weird little like shift in mistranslation. The thing about like, okay, I'm a little behind here because of the thing. But like I wanted to say like the thing with Kaz kind of makes sense why he would have that accent because, okay, I guess in the book, it's, like, canonically saying that he was, like, showed up there when he was nine, and now it's been, like, seven years. But Inej, canonically, she's only been there for a year. So, yeah, no, that would not, that just doesn't make sense that they, that she would, A, have an accent in the first place, and B, that they'd have the same thing. So that just, yeah. Right, like, she would, that's not her birth language, because she's from a different place, different people. And then when she's taken to Ketterdam by force, she learns the language as a survival skill. My throat hurts from the goat noises. (laughs) So, by definition it she would have it would make sense for her to have like a more heavier accent of her 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 older like her the dialect she grew up with yeah i mean i think that's true but it's also like clearly the people quote speaking quote unquote ravkin are speaking the same language as the people speaking kirch like 
they're all speaking English. So it's like, even though there are supposed to be these different countries with different languages, like obviously they all need to be speaking English so that we can understand them. Although they do include bits of old Ravkin and Fjerden, which are different languages. They actually had like language experts invent, actually write, blah. They actually had people develop those languages, so they would have real rules and ascendant structures and things like that, which is very cool. If you look at like the numbering system and the writing system, they're all very cool. Oh my god, I really like the Kirch. Okay, I really like the Kirch lettering system. It's it's unfamiliar to me. I think Fjerden was more developed since it's spoken on the show, like people speak full sentences of it. And um, Ravkin, it's more like they use one or two old words like Otkazatsia or Grisha or like, well, I mean, Grisha's the diminutive of Grigori. Mirzost, whereas the Fjerdens, you know, they're talking in Fjerden. And Matthias has a Fjerden accent, even though the actor who plays him is American, which is weird to think about. Boy, hearing him talk in like an interview or something is absolutely bonkers. Do you guys want to talk about how they changed um, the book for the show now? How many of us have actually read the Shadow? Like, I know we're, like, I know we all love, like, the Six of Crows, but how many of us here have actually read Shadow and Bone, that trilogy? I read the entire trilogy, like, back in middle school. It's, it was not, so my biggest thing is that um, Shadow and Bone is very clearly a deconstruction of a Chosen One narrative, but it is still a Chosen One narrative, and I'm, compared to Six of Crows, where it was, like, yourself they're self-chosen bastards that have to go and do a thing for money it just wasn't to my personal taste uh shadow and bone that is yeah i read the first book and then i couldn't make it through the second book but i have um absorbed most of the information i would say through osmosis as Haas would put it i agree because um i really like how in six of crows and crooked kingdom inej has kind of like the anti-chosen one narrative because She's there either, like, just from a life that isn't normal, but is definitely not chosen for greatness, but she becomes that for herself. Like, there's this great quote, what about the nobodies and nothings, the ordinary girls we make magic out of the everyday? That's not the exact quote, but she has this wonderful moment when she's realizing what she has the power to do, even though she's not chosen. And I love it. Shadow and Bone is the opposite of that. (laughs) Yeah. And in fact, like, Alina in the original Shadow and Bone trilogy has very little agency she's not the one who decides to really pursue a relationship with the darkling like he kind of courts her more she's not that is that is a deliberate choice they made in the show to have evident um alina initiate the kit the first kiss rather than the other round yeah other way in the book so having him ask for consent i think was yeah even though he's still like has a lot of power over her and that it's it's not okay he's the general i mean in power right there he's the general <laughs> yeah but also in the book she's not the one who decides to go after the stag um whereas in the show that's her decision because she's she they're actively working against the darkling like after you find out about like the darkling's true motivations all the actions you look at them in like a different light yeah, before you know that, all you can think is Ben Barnes is hot. He's very attractive. It's unfair. His name is literally the Darkling. I feel like it's a little 
predictable that he's gonna yeah. do appreciate how in episode two like he's wearing all black his horse is black and then alina gets injured and he hands her his black handkerchief <laughs> to clean herself like boy man really just stuck to the aesthetic huh yeah i mean he has the villain aesthetic and he slices like his first appearance well i mean except for two seconds earlier his first real action is like slicing a guy in half magically He's Grisha power sink the guy in half in a thousand pieces. And you just see Alina's face like, oh my God. And I'm like, insight into his character. Please, Alina, put the slew back of your mind. Also, let's go back to his first appearance. I'm just remembering because it's just really a lot to unpack there. He pulls up Alina. Well, first he says, what are you? And he says that twice. And I think that's also been said throughout the show by different characters. I think the queen also says it. Um, Yvonne says it to Jesper. Like it's a repeated question. And since the show is all about her like discovering her identity and being torn between different identities, I think it's really interesting that they have that um, specific question repeated um, and it really matches the thing. And I just like, I just like the writing. Okay. It's just, it's cool. And then also, oh, sorry, you guys can talk in a minute, but like, um, then the Darkling pushes up her sleeve, right? To test if she's Grisha or not. And that's like a moment where he's finding out information by pushing up her sleeve about who she is that will determine how he acts towards her. And then later, he does the exact same thing with Arkin. He pushes up his sleeve. He sees these markings that show him that he's that the conductor has crossed the fold a bunch of times. And now he knows who Arkin is, and that determines Arkin's fate. And I'm just saying, the parallels. The parallels, guys. This and is what got her half-ironically shipping Dar- Dar- Arkin. Darkin. Darkin is such a good shipping. If Dar- you do Arkin, you have to ship Darkin. I don't make the rules, except that I do, and that is one of them. The essay writing is showing. It is. It what is. more can I say? Hashtag Team Darkin. That is a cat. Paz has her cat. Guest appearance. Oh, don't say hi to the cat. No, don't eat my headphones. Don't eat my headphones. Bad cat. I have a dog. <laughs> Ooh, can we have a hating on Dark Lena session now? Oh, God. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, you ship Darkin. Okay. Look, it's he, all all the all Kerrigan does is manipulate Alina. He hurts all the people she loves. He assumes she's going to like him back one day because he's manipulative. He said, yeah, "Don't get me started. I will never stop." Yeah, I think I mentioned this before. after you know every scene before that is like so different. Also, he's not just manipulating and abusing her. He's manipulating an entire population of Grisha, like cutting them off from their families, cutting them off from the outside world, training them to fight, and also like dividing them into different sections. So they're always competing for his favor and his attention. So they can never unify against him, like realize what he's doing. And they can also, but it also weakens Ravka's fighting that they're not working together. For example, Jenya, who's a tailor, her powers kind of blur the boundaries between two of the different types of Grisha. She's using um, skills that both a fabricator and a corporalki would be using. She's relegated to being a servant. Like, her powers aren't used to their full extent. You can see in Crooked Kingdom, when she's no longer under his control, how much more she can do. And it's crazy. 
She's amazing. I love her. And at the end of the series, she is given this red kefta, which is what she's always wanted. She's always wanted to be a part of the Grisha, like to be accepted into their ranks. But it also like confines her to this label. Now she's one of the Corporalki. And so it's like another way of controlling her. Just so toxic, so manipulative, but he's very good at it. He's very good at it. I think I saw this thing where it's like he's threatening mostly to women because that's truly the the, the horror of somebody who can get you to trust him and then betray you. And so a lot of people, like I think I saw something where it's like a lot of men will say that the Darkling isn't really that threatening because his threat isn't physical. He's very powerful, but like his threat is he can manipulate you into doing what he wants and you don't ever see it coming. And that's that's what's actually scary. And if you've been in a position where you are likely to be manipulated, that's a lot scarier to you than uh, man can punch good. So I'm saying this as someone who actually does really like the, the, the villain that's man who punch good, by the way. Like he's a very interesting villain. I completely agree with you. That makes total sense. Also, in the show, the first time I watched it, I was really angry with Jenya because she had been spying for the Darkling and she she was hurting Alina. So it was another piece of trust that breaks Alina. And I know that really the Darkling is at the heart of it. And like he's twisting these people to keep twisting. It, his power is that strong. Obviously, Jenya did still have some independent choice of what she did. I'm still a little angry. She was also in a really horrible position if you haven't seen the show. So it's like... I feel bad about being angry with her, even though I'm angry with her. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I guess I'm a, yeah. Cause like I mean, Jenya, like on like a smaller level, Jenya did also sort of manipulate Olina too in a way. Like obviously there's like a whole sort of hierarchy of that, but there was still some aspect of Jenya manipulating Olina as well. Absolutely. I love how I love this one line that Alina says to Jenya that the king deserves every bit of her revenge, but that General Kerrigan does not deserve her loyalty because a lot of the reason that she's doing this is because she wants revenge against the king because he's been sexually assaulting her for years and against the queen who has also, I think, been abusing her. And they're just very bad people. But the general's the one who's putting her in that position I'm sure knowingly, since she's literally his spy. Knowingly, yes. Just go with that. Yeah. So Alina's completely right. She He does not deserve her loyalty. I agree. That makes total sense. Also, I want to read my list of things that we liked that I wrote down. Milo, Kefta's, Pretty, The Music, Jasper, Nina, and Inej. I think someone added to that list. But Why, why, is, why is Pretty its own bullet point? everything pretty everyone pretty if, okay, like yeah. even if i didn't enjoy the chosen one plot line i would just turn my brain off and go jesse maylee and ben barnes are so pretty they're so attractive and i listen right? I that the season that the episode two look where alina's a little bit grunged up and has the red kefta on is my favorite look and they kept language they're so pretty they're so pretty <laughs> Ooh, wait yes they're all very very pretty are there any Rapkin swear words we can... Gods? Saints? Sancta? Oh, gel or something. Context. That's like the main, like, that's context from uh, Six of Crows and Kirk Kingdom. That's the main. Gel is like the main god of sure that like the high, kind of embodies that with like nature and water, I think. The sacred ash tree. So that's the thing. Yeah, there's... Yeah, a- that. But like water is also a really important aspect too. 
there's one scene when they're leaving the water um when nina and matthias have just like made it out um and i believe uh matthias says thank gel or like he he mentions gel and nina a couple seconds before or after is like oh thank the saints like she references that and i just the writing you know the parallels between them because there are so many because they were both raised as soldiers hating the opposite group obviously like i'm on nina's side because she's not exactly trying to kill the Fjordans. yeah she's not trying to kill them for something that they can't control Whereas the Fjordans are. Fjordans are, like, basically Nazis. Or, well, the Druskela are The Druskela. Sorry. Not all of Fjorda. Just the particular order devoted to killing people who are a certain way for no reason. I don't like them. Me neither. But we do like Matthias and his butt chin. I didn't even notice. What? (laughs) Are we ready to move on to what we didn't like? I'm sure I will talk more about what I liked later. Yeah. Okay, um, something I wasn't super sure about was how I feel like in this show, they show Anna just being a little blinded by her faith. Like when she lets Alina escape because she's like, the sun summoner. And it's it, it makes that a flaw for her. But then in the book, it felt like her faith and just the way she thinks, because the way she thinks is very, this might be the wrong word, maybe introspective. There's a lot of analyzing and she's spiritual. And it's not that she's impractical. She does, like, impressive parkour. She does strategy. She's awesome. But in the book, this, like, mystical side of her that is, it's, it's more like, it feels like it focuses her. It centers her sometimes. It does guide her, but it doesn't mislead her. And in the show, it does. And that was a little strange to me. I wasn't really sure why they pulled that part out in her. Because there's a lot of really interesting and complicated things in her character especially to do with like her dark past with the menagerie i'm probably pronouncing that wrong but she has a lot of character traits that could come forward and take center stage and those could be the conflict like not wanting to touch calves not wanting to touch people that would make sense they highlighted this and i wasn't super sure how i felt about that yeah i agree like in the book it's kind of like the faithful part of her is like something that kind of like centers her through as as uh, Lavender mentioned, darker path. She kind of holds on to this part, which like, um, but then like Lavender, like you also mentioned in the show, they kind of turn that on its head, it misleads her in a way. And I do think they do address it through lines. So I feel like that's good that they like addressing that part of her. But at the same time, why capitalize, why flip that on its head the way they did from the book? Yeah, I saw some discussion about this on the Grisha um the Grishaverse subreddit and uh I think a lot of people feel that way I think that one specific moment where she lets Alina escape um makes sense with her character because and only because Alina says specifically like I don't want to be anyone's captive anymore and that resonates with Inej really strongly because that's something that she's experienced firsthand I think in other parts it makes less sense for her to focus on her faith because she has so many other aspects to her character that makes a lot of sense like the i don't want to be anyone's captive that is like very tied to an edge's past like that's that's an edge's goal also think really needed something to bring the crows in because obviously at the end they can't have the crows capture alina to set up the next season so to get the crows there, they had to do something with Lena to get to get there, and you know, capturing her made sense. 
but they really needed an in to not capture her again. And I think they just ratcheted up what they had with Inej because that was their only option. Because again, the biggest problem they had is that Shadow and Bone came first and it's a lot more conventional. Like, you know, chosen one, two love interest, one's like hot and brooding and whatever, and the other's her best friend. Easy to recognize, but Six of Crows is by far more popular. So they had to mesh them together. And I think that's just, again, there was a little bit of a a mix up with that. Also, can I say how much I love that Inej's goal is to get a ship and then like hunt down slavers? So she can keep freeing people. I, I just love her. Sorry. Ah, suckers. You know, whatever you. Also, um, th- they also changed Kaz's character for the show, which was a necessary thing, I think, a bit. Because if you just, if we immediately had book Kaz in the show, like all the people who hadn't read the book would be like, this guy is the worst. He's so mean to all the people around him and he wouldn't make sense in the way that he does when you're seeing his inner monologue and hearing about his backstory. And not only that, when you don't see cat because this is, takes place outside of the book universe, because it's not exactly what happens in the books. His um, character relies so heavily on that for you to understand why he is the way he is. So if you just throw him like, hey, here's this asshole, love him. No, it's not gonna work. I also think it's like, it was kind of clear that, so Kaz has like a kind of a swagger in the books. He's got like this mythos he's built around himself. And since this is technically a prequel, it felt like it was pre-bastard Kaz, you know? He's a lot more manic. He still hasn't got his charisma all the way down yet. Like there's this one scene where he's yelling at the Grisha Traveler. He's like, you, you know how to get us across the fold. And it's like, okay, that's a bit much, buddy. Calm down. Like he's, you can clearly tell he's intelligent and he knows it. He just, he doesn't quite have the experience with being the bastard of the barrel. And you're slowly seeing him turn into that over time. I think that's what we're going for because like you can see mm. hints of it. Like when he breaks that in Farini's arm, you see hints of him being a bastard, but like they're trying to like slowly lead that into it. So when we get there, we're like, ah, yes, the lovable asshole. I love him. Like that, I think that's what they're going for. Yeah. yeah. And also yeah, it's, it's also very clear, like because of this, he is, they are all so young. Like yeah. in the books, they are 17, maybe. They are all so young and having this, like you just said, like almost prequel really illustrates they don't know what the f*** they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They like they have to act like they are. They know what they're doing, but they don't know what they're doing. See, I've seen discourse about how they seem too old and it's like, fine, I get the whole point of trauma, but they act so theatrical that I'm slowly starting to believe it again. Like. Yes, the things they can do are by Lee Bardugo wrote a bunch of mid-20s year old and then said they were 16. But that's also because then she could make them say stuff like, greed is my master, it is my servant and lever. Like, there is not a single adult that says that straight-faced to his love interest. Not a single one. Except maybe Loki. Yes, and Loki is a thousand-year-old teenager by Tumblr Matthews. No, Loki is actually, in Asgardian terms, 
a teenager. a teenager. That is something a very traumatized teenager says because they think it makes them sound cool. You say the barrel is my mother; it birthed me. Shut up, man. Actually, Kenderdam's his mother. Like my think. father's my mother's kind of my father's prophet. Like think, would Tony Stark say this, or okay. Can would I- Peter Parker say this? Can I make an official request for some Kaz and Inej flashbacks in season two so that we can yes. see trauma instead of having awkward exposition? Because we all know Kaz yeah. cannot express himself. Also, the thing is, I want number five from the Umbrella Academy to play small Kaz. I really, I just, yes! I want it. I thought My you were about to say, thing. I want number five from the Umbrella Academy to like tra- travel into this timeline. I personally think that that would make a heck of a crossover. But what I really want is somebody to explain to Jesper who Jordy is at some point because Jesper still oh doesn't know. Like maybe he knows in Rule of Wolves, but Kaz accidentally calls Jesper Jordy and then never mentioned it. I want to know so bad. I want but to- If you think about that though, at least in the show- that wouldn't happen until season like three or maybe four, depending on how they do. I it. know, but still. But, like, the thing is, as I was gonna, say, I was gonna say this earlier, but like it's kind of nice to have both because books can like portray some things, um, like TV shows can't like inner thoughts and stuff, and then TV shows can portray some things like or Netflix, whatever, same thing. Um, they can portray some things that books can't. Like I guess those like subtle little interactions between characters that like you can actually see now. Also, can we just mention like Kaz and Inej pining was like the Kaz and Inej that sort of build up in their relationship was uh highly highly up there, very obvious. And I'm here for that. I do think that again, it's because you don't have the added benefit of a book, so you can't have Kaz at some point saying like, "What is it that you want?" and like his brain goes, "You Inej," and he goes money <laughs> such a dumb moment by the way but you can't have that so they have to slow like show it and not tell it which is so funny because kaz is so bad at fe- so kaz just ended up being like an edgy simp who's bad at feelings which is very funny and now explains why i liked him so much um are you an edgy simp who's bad at feelings obviously <laughs> darn it guys we definitely went back to what we liked about the show Okay. <laughs> Listen, we, we like. can critique the show all we want, but the truth is, is that Six we of Crows we was what it. started this podcast, and, and this this show did a really good job at bringing the universe to like more people. I I'm not saying there's not stuff to critique, but like we all clearly love the characters and the show delivered. So, um, fair warning, I'll end up being gushing. I we're we're trying. Attempts are being made. Look at this point. Six of Crows is probably one of the reasons that like. I met my best friends, okay? Just let me love the show. Yeah, like, I think it's, so uh, it started our middle school librarian who's now retired, recommended it to a bunch of us. It ended up spreading. We started the podcast fundamentally so we could end up talking about it. Um, Well, technically we started the podcast for an NPR. I mean, no, we started it with the idea (laughs) of like, we do the Princess Bride one because we don't care about it as much. So we can eventually do Six of Crows. Like Six of yeah. Crows podcast was always the end goal. Well, not the end goal, but like the thing we wanted to do. We Six of Crows changed this book club's trajectory fundamentally and uh, the show delivered. So yeah. The third of us just kind of showed up at that point. Do you guys want to talk about representation now? A smooth transition. <laughs> yeah, this one is going to be a bit heavier. So um, fair warning. Uh, and also, I feel it is important to mention again that uh, we're all white. So also, like, 
wait let me we should recommend other i can recommend the sostein video because she had uh they had four asian women talking about um their thoughts on the representation in shadow and bone and that was like a really good video i think um they phrased their thoughts on colorism really well too since that was an issue with the casting it seemed like although we love the actors who are cast and they're so good in their roles there's a clear pattern of characters who were imagined to be much more darker skin being cast with lighter skinned actors yeah um and also just you should also watch the uh and listen to the interviews of the cast members themselves because oftentimes they uh, from what i've heard and listened to in them they do have really interesting insights on what they brought to the character, how they feel about playing the character and all of that. The other, some other things with the casting, I think that they could have done better. Um, there are a lot of complaints about how the actress playing um, Nina wasn't as plus sized as she was imagined. And I think also like no one talks about this, but I think it would have been really cool if they'd found an actor to play Kaz who actually had a limp since that's probably something that impairs actors getting roles. And it like would have been cool to have that represented. That's a major part of this character. So that would have been really cool. Yeah, especially because Leigh Bardugo wrote Kaz because she has a walking impediment too. She wrote that there, I think as a, you know, because she had it and she had her lived experience for it and she didn't see a lot of that in media and she wrote it herself. It would have been something to see. Yeah, and having any kind of, especially physical disability, makes it very hard for actors to get roles because... Hollywood's just like, oh, we'll just cast an able-bodied person and have them act it, which, uh, no. let's maybe not do that. There are actually people out there who want the work and have the lived experience that they can bring to the character. A very notable example of this is that, for example, RDJ, Robert Downey Jr., struggled with drug addiction. And when it came time to play Tony Stark, and it's hint Tony Stark is an alcoholic or has some kind of substance issue or something like that. He had a way to bring his, it was his shot at redemption and it was Tony Stark's shot at redemption in the story. And notably, it made his performance much stronger. Not Also not to mention that it is a lot of people really do want to do this work and they're not being given that opportunity. And yeah. Especially with like the idea of someone acting disabled. Like I've seen this happen where people will quote unquote act disabled for the sole purpose of making fun of the disability community. I guess like obviously it's like it is somewhat different in like actual media. But when you know that's a thing and you could have the opportunity to cast someone who sort of like fits more so fits the profile of the character. Yeah, especially because they're aren't that major roles where there are characters with disabilities who like and the plot doesn't center around their disability him having a cane like he he uses the cane as a weapon it's seen as something that completely like adds to his coolness it doesn't impede him in any way i know and there's one part where it's like what what Kaz is like oh who would have oh what do people think when they see a poor cripple walking down the street and then jessica's just like well if the cripple is you they'd run the other way <laughs> and i know there's this line 
when it's like there was no part of him that was not broken there was no part of him that was not stronger for being broken yeah i do appreciate how kaz takes parts of himself that could be seen as like a thing you would hide and he reinvents it to be dangerous like he very specifically ordered that cane to be made so it could crush bone he has the gloves because he has this touch aversion from his uh you know uh dying and fl- using his brother as a raft and like a like a kickboard yeah, basically. Uh, so he puts gloves on and he builds onto this mythos by like, nobody knows what's beneath Brecker's gloves. Like he is a master at taking stuff that could be a weakness and turning it into a strength. And that's really cool. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, me too. I do have to say though, there's a very fine line between that and also romanticizing it. Like romanticizing the line about there, like every part of him was broken, but every part was also better for it it's like that for me kind of like that dances the line of going into romanticizing it a bit too much it makes sense yeah. I agree. because yeah, I agree. he is fundamentally damaged and traumatized and there's nothing he can do about that so yeah he accepts it but and that but it's not for everyone else to romanticize and be like oh i wish blah 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 it's like wanting to be like Kaz is not something anyone should want because no. that man has gone through so much and I fear that the romanticization the romanticization of who he has become is dangerous but at the same time that does not mean you should not be proud of what of who you are and like getting through what you've gotten through but at the same time Kaz needs therapy I think in particular is that Kaz like Lee Bardugo wrote a character that is very compelling, but very bad at admitting he has a problem. Like he's really <laughs> bad at it. And so it doesn't make sense for the character himself to say like, I should get therapy or something, but you, he should. I think uh, Lee Bardugo tries to do that with, you know, the surrounding characters like Jesper and Inej going like, this guy's insane. What the hell? Something like that. But um, fundamentally, Kaz is not that kind of person. And that's where uh, critical media thinking is important. Because like, I don't think Lee Bardugo romanticizes Kaz's behaviors. Whenever it's anyone else's POV, everyone's horrified by what he does. Mm -hmm. So it's just like that little critical like, hey, uh, don't be like this guy. He's not a role model. And even he sometimes recognizes that he is not the kind of person that Inej would, you know, be a thing. And what he takes that to be is like a, so I will improve myself to become somebody she could. He sees like, I'm not good for Inej and I'm kind of bad. But instead of like being sad about it, he's like, fine, challenge accepted. I'll be a better person. And I don't, I would not recommend that to most people. I don't think it's a very generally a healthy outlook, but he does attempt to get better as like a challenge accepted. And I, he's a complex character and kind of messed up and he's not a role model, but I am proud of him. Yeah. And like Leigh Bardugo did a very good job of like making it very clear, like, hey, um, being like this, not good, but I do fear that like sometimes fandoms are very eager to take Ooh, strong brooding ba- bad boy. Me likey. <laughs> right, like he, has, he has actual psychological trauma for what happened to him. And that's like really important to recognize. Yes, he's a cool character. But like if you actually look at his backstory, it's it's really messy and it's really hard. And it's it's I think it's important to look at him as a whole person, which obviously is hard to do sometimes with characters because we're like, oh my gosh, they're awesome. But like if you look at them as whole people, they all have problems and stories and things they've overcome and things that they haven't overcome yet. And that's this really powerful, beautiful thing in a book or a show or anything. And it's, I think it's important not to overinflate one side of a personality so that 
you can see the person and then like in your own life it's like it's it's important I think to acknowledge all sides of the person yes because then like it's there it's validating even if it's just a character because yeah. it's important to validate people in real life I don't know if that was I mean, considering how many people like Lee Bardugo's whole point was darkling bad do not stand people like the darkling and mm. half the people are darklinga shippers I think we just proved Lee Bardugo's point with that as a fandom just saying and I think yeah. something that Leigh Bardugo did really really well was really flesh out her characters even before we knew a lot about them they felt like full people and that's something that I find a lot of books end up falling flat on is they rely too heavily on you imagining the rest of the person rather than showing you the rest of the person or telling you the rest of the person like she did a really excellent job in my opinion of forming each character it, they feel real I, I love that yeah, about it because it's like actually meeting a friend yeah Sorry. yeah it's kind of more on six of crows obviously i mentioned i haven't read the shadow bone series but on the six of crows series like it's a cast of like like the main cast is six characters and i feel like that is a fairly, fairly large number for like main characters yet each and every one of them is fleshed is like totally fleshed out really complex and they have like so many different sides to them and that was really well done can we talk about the gay now yes very much please um i love the representation that we get with jesper made me very happy because that is like it was very clear like this dude be queer and he was not like tried to be like brushed over in any way that like this dude likes dudes it's like that's just a fact of it and I really appreciate that because oftentimes that isn't seen, especially in shows that are targeted towards essentially teenagers because it's it's YA fiction. That's the people reading it, like middle school through high school, that's the people reading it. And so that was really nice. But also by erasure is also a problem. Yeah. I've seen some stuff where it's like, I really hope they don't go the route of like saying, but like Nina is straight and Jasper is gay only like they are both I think canonically bi and to be fair it's one season and they haven't like Nina has not interacted with anyone other than Matthias and Jasper didn't like there weren't very many there I think there weren't many opportunities for yeah like I think he flirts with most I know like a lot of opportunities but I do think like for example if you'd had the like the in the hotel person be a woman who Nina is like, can't you just have a bit of patience to him? Like it doesn't exactly read as flirting because she's heartrending him, but I feel like having her be a woman that would have just given like just a little bit of yeah. Th- there were changes that they could have made, and um, there were a couple like throwaway lines as well, like people saying like oh, boys or girls, like, no matter, like, I I don't judge or whatever, um, which kind of builds this world as the place that's more accepting of that sort of thing. But also, like, Jesper could have had, like, one of those, like, kind of throwaway lines where he expresses, like, attraction to someone else. I don't know. I feel like there were ways to do it, and I really hope that we get some of that in season two, especially because in an interview, like, I, I can't remember who it was, but, like, one of the writers or, like, one of the showrunners or something, like, refers to Jesper as gay. Like, mm, just- but he's not. <laughs> but it's still, like, worrying. 
although the actor in interviews has referred to him as bi so that's good that is um i do think that we need to be careful not to jump on like judging it too quickly for like oh they're erasing whatnot because especially because the crows are not the main guys in this yeah, right. like Nino and Matthias were a side story. Like seriously like side a, story. Like this is very yeah. much hopefully next, like hopefully they won't, but this is just like a we yeah. don't know yet. They, like I'm not being critical, but I am expressing that this is something that is important to the fans of the show and that yeah. they better include. And also what you just brought up about like the showrunner or something referring to Jasper as being gay. That can also gay is also so often used as an umbrella term that we really can't glean much from that That's without true. getting into like harmful speculation. Because if we try and whatever, then we're just gonna be even more disappointed next time. Yeah. Also, awesome. we really can't know anything until the next season comes out and see what happens if they even go anywhere with anything. Season two, um, if you're out there. But I, but I do also think it's important to say that. They don't need to have love as a major part of their story right now. They don't need to have their like sexual, their sexuality or their romantic identity as a huge part of who they are because yeah, it's an identifier, but it's also not all that makes up a person. Right. Like they shouldn't just be defined like that. Yeah. Um, And that's one thing that I'm kind of fearful with a little bit is that People are focusing so heavily on it that I feel like they're missing also the other parts of the characters that are also meaningful that might get left out or might be underdone or overdone or played for like, mm-hmm. but that's not to say it's not very important to have the representation there. I just, my personal view is that we just need to see where it goes before we really start because there was like one throwaway scene with Jesper and the dude in the stables. That was it. And yeah. then- I mean, yeah, I was was there. the good thing about that was that was like, yeah. not like, you can't miss that, as you said. Yeah. Right. Like, you that, that was good. <laughs> couldn't ignore yeah. that. And, and then, you can't, then he didn't you can't die. Pretend, like, oh, it was something else. Like, no, it's very clear what that was. And right. It was like, really clear. And then just the show moves on. It's just like, that. then Jasper doesn't die. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I just. I'm like, glad. Things where Disney's like, oh yes, um, we ha- included a gay character and it's like two seconds of them like holding hands. Yeah. This it feels like that one like where that it's like where Disney I now the guy had the seven first gay characters yeah. at this point because they're such cowards about like they put it in a very easily cut scene so that China won't get bad or something, versus something like Mitchell's versus the machines that animates a pride pin onto Katie. I love Mitchell's versus the machines. It's so yeah, like, good. The it difference made me cry. Between, like difference between something that you can easily cut versus something very clearly not very outward, like not very obvious, but still like pride pin. She talks about acceptance a lot and she has a girlfriend at the end. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Oh, why is this piece of media? Uh, uh, Mitchell, the Mitchell's versus machines is on Netflix. It's absolutely amazing. It's adorable. It's a family movie about like a road trip and robots taking over the world. And I love it so much. So please watch it. Noted. Also, like speaking of that, there the only like lesbian representation is a blink and you miss it moment where like yeah, minor character says, "Oh, why is she pining over the general when she could be with me?" Yeah. And so that's why. I'm so ready for Tamadia. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing the ship name correctly in season two, but hopefully it happens. They are canonically married, I believe, not to like spoil things, but I think they there are a canon couple. So they they better be there. They better exist. I hope yeah. so. Also, 
Jenya and Alina, they're in love as well. Just saying. And the actresses ship it. So I'm right. Yeah. Also, now are you guys ready to be quizzed? Oh, no. Have we talked about the, the stunt double, though? Like, I, we do have to put that in oh, there. Oh, right. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So uh, the stunt double for Inej was cast and she is a white woman. And there's been a lot of talking about it, a lot of backlash. And Amita has gotten a lot of questions about it. I understand why she's gotten those questions, but at the same time, she had nothing to do with that casting. There's really she's an actress. nothing she Actor. could have done about that. Like She's not like a, a big name actor who has a stunt double that goes on every film with her or every show with her. She's not someone who really quite yet has that pull that some people might or that I hope she gets eventually because she's an amazing actress. Like, damn, wow. Um, but that casting is on Netflix and on the stunt coordinators or like the stunt casters for not thinking it through on, hey, that's harmful. There are plenty of actresses and stunt stunt doubles who are women of color, specifically South Asian South Asian women of color who could do that role, and you don't have to give it to a white woman. Yeah, and not and then put her in brown face. Exactly. Like, yeah, they just they kept making it worse. Yeah, yeah. like. And I want to put in just for the benefit of the doubt, because I, a lot of older people in the industry do not understand why something is that harmful. So like, like if you look at the Instagram post, it doesn't appear that anyone thinks that there's anything wrong with it. However, if you are writing like a show that is literally being marketed for its inclusiveness, I feel like it might be your job to at least get a sensitivity person or something like, yeah, I, I, like I want to, I want to give old people older in the industry, the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they don't understand the harm or something and they genuinely do want to learn, but at the same time, please do better. That's so that, we, yeah. we need to like educate more people so that this just stops happening. Yeah. Like I'm saying this in the terms of, I think a couple of actors were under like for supernatural were under fire because they like were seen as queer baiting uh, some fan. They had no idea that's what they were doing. They didn't know what queer bait was. And they didn't even know that that's what people were expecting because they've been off the show for like 10 years. So like terms like this are new and it is kind of a learning curve. But again, at the same time, if you're writing a show that is preaching inclusiveness and marketing it on it, just, yeah, it's like, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, that's brown face is pretty big. Like that's been a not like noted a, for a while, like yeah. a long time. Like it's, it's pretty well known that you don't take a white person and make them look like someone of a different race. But um, yeah, that's that's a no, no. Yeah. Like it's kind of like you assume positive intent, but you acknowledge what the impact was is. I don't want to assume malintent because I don't think that's what was behind it. But of course, I don't know. I wasn't a part of it. I just sincerely hope. But also with regard to queer baiting, um, personally, that term scares me a little bit because it is thrown out a lot. And uh, oftentimes it is specifically thrown out with close male friendships because in that case, it's like, oh, two guys can only be that close if they're secretly gay for one another. And like it tacitly kind of pushes that toxic masculine, you're not allowed to have close guy friends, which is yeah. dumb and stupid and bad. Like that's not good either. Yeah. And so I understand like for real queer baiting, like where it's like a, like very obvious, that's what they're doing with, especially with queer coding, that is harmful. Could you define queer coding? 
queer coding is like um making a character basically fall into the stereotypes of being queer okay thank you. a very good example would be a lot of disney villains because and the quick backstory here ursula is that, yeah based on they a drag, drag queen. queen like Wait, why is that a Hayes villain code, why, why was that a villain so, ba- based on the haze code you were only allowed to depict only allowed to depict people under the lgbt spectrum like um if there was something like either on the villain side or something that was seen like th- to, to morally that or wrong them. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so that's why Disney ended up queer coding a lot of its villains and uh, why Scar, like, but, Scar it, Ursula. It's more complicated than that because a lot of queer cr- creators included queer coded people because it, it was the only way to have yeah. that rotation. Like, yes, they were villains, but at the it, same time, there's still representation because they're still people. And they're also pretty good villains. Like, And they're pretty good characters. Like, yeah. they're well-fabricated characters. Also, yeah. like, the villains ended up being some of the most memorable and loved characters, more so than the... Like, I think more people <laughs> like Hades than Hercules in the Hercules yeah. movie. Hades is oh, yeah, who totally. I remember from the Hercules movie. <laughs> like, it made them iconic, and it was a lot of people trying to push people like them behind the scenes. But at the same time, it still painted them as the villain. So it's a complicated debate, but that that's... Yeah, personally, like, the queer coding, that's one that I don't disagree with that. That obviously happens. And so does queer baiting. It just, people, I think, have taken it to an extreme where it's just, you're looking for something that isn't necessarily there. So I think it'd be better if just put it there to begin with. Like, just have characters where it's part of, part of them, like, it's just there. So then, you know, we don't have to be like, okay, where is it, where is it, where is it? Just, just have a relation. Yeah. And then we don't have to worry about it. And, but also like, so queer baiting, you generally see that with like close male friendships. You also sort of see it with close female friendships, but less so. But at the same time, when I say this, I'm thinking about like, well, in history, oftentimes when we think, oh, they were probably gay and like in some kind of relationship, historians have said they were best friends. They were close friends. They were, they were roommates, basically. I think my favorite one is close friend they had a dog that they named Sappho yeah I feel hesitant to then say my like with queer baiting and stuff like that but at the same time I think it's very important that that we recognize that's not necessarily what is they're trying to do it might be the outcome of what it is like you see with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier a lot of people is like they're queer baiting us and they're doing it on purpose they might have but they also that might have also just been how it came out because people have been shipping Sam and Bucky for ages. Yeah, like generally it's a it's more of a nebulous thing and it's generally better to assume that they were not trying to do this on purpose, but it's a comp debate. And um, like in some cases it is on purpose. For example, Supernatural, which is some of it is definitely on purpose. Oh my God. Super. But some of it isn't. Like the beginning wasn't, but then it turned into it. Because and then they, then they finally like, fine, Tumblr. And then, so it went from queer betting to barrier gaze. So like, yeah. we stay winning here. Anyway, the point here is that it's a long debate and it isn't necessarily always on purpose. Sometimes it is simply they wrote a well-done dynamic to well-written male characters. It's not necessarily queer betting. Yeah. Are we ready for me to quiz you? Oh, no. Sure. Yeah. Okay. We're going to practice round um, just to make sure that the technology is working. Um, if you think you know the answer, do the little raise hand thing. You guys all see that. I should know how to do that I by think- now. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I don't think I do from like where I am, but that's fine. Like the, the device I'm using. You can raise your actual hand. Oh, oh yeah. Right. That's the thing too. <laughs> <laughs> We've been on Zoom for too long. Put your hand down. Yeah. Put your hand down. Yeah. <laughs> 
where we start. Um, so the practice round is finish this quote. Okay. Fine. Make me your. Okay. Yeah, what's the answer? Villain. Very good. Okay. So that's just the practice round. You guys see how it's not me thinking, make me your Aphrodite. <laughs> <laughs> Make me your one and no. Oh, shoot. It's gonna be stuck in my head now. <laughs> I haven't heard that song in years, but that's just where my brain went. Yeah, you have to put your hand down again after each question. Okay, quote number one. No table, Jesper, you'll scare off the blank. Lila. Pigeons? Yeah. What did you say? What no no what? No loud so noise. It's from uh, the the first uh, actual first time we see Kaz. It's uh so Jesper finds some fakes, shoots a hole in them at the casino table. Uh Kaz comes oh. in, whacks Jesper's money with the cane and goes no loud noises at the table, Jesper, you'll scare off the pigeons. Uh, <laughs> so I that. I've only watched it once. Yeah. I've watched those first few episodes so many times. Why? 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 Because Why I was stupid with my time. Okay, let's try to get through these fast. It's not bait. It's for you. Blank. Julia? Is this the hug the goat shut the hell up? It sure is. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say. Okay, quote number three. Otherwise, you'd know better. Or blank. Lila? Or you'd be dead. Yeah, that's Pekka Rollins to Kaz. He's like, have we ever made a deal before? Okay. Very pointed setup for the next few seasons. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Orphans of Crimson reunited. Blank. What? Orphans of Crimson reunited. Blank. Leah? Woohoo! <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> On text, um, the Darkling says this. I know he oh, says they, something. This is probably something wrong, but like at last, or no, not. Okay. Oh, I feel bad. like he says something like "how touching" or something like something sarcastic. Mm-hmm. I just don't remember what the actual phrase is. Okay, I don't think I can give you guys any more context, so I'm just gonna tell you. He, it's orphans of Crimson reunited. Adorable. <laughs> I oh, oh, nice. Woo-hoo. Oh, right. Yeah, I remember. Okay, yeah. I completely forgot the context of this quote, and now I remember who yeah. gave that. Okay. Your tracker friend also liked it when blank. Lila? When I had him on his back. Is that Zoya? Yeah, that's close enough. It's. I think it's when I put him on his back. But yeah. Um, that's what Zoya said. <laughs> I don't want to be on the podcast. <laughs> Too late. It's okay. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so Zoya like, um, punches Alina and trips her and whatever, and like has her on the ground. And she's like, your tracker friend also liked it when I put him on his back. And then she winks. Um, and then, and then, and then the, what's her name? Alina like punches her and knocks her over. <laughs> It's like Alina's first first landed blow in that entire fight. It's like, oh yeah. 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 Okay. Quote number whatever. It's like lying next to a blank. Lila? Uh, squid. So close. I'm going to ask for the 
I'm I'm gonna ask for the correct one because it's just such a good adjective. The clammy squid? No. Burly squid? Yes. <laughs> oh, wait, I remember that one. Next because to- wait, that that's Nina to Matai, right? Yeah. He's like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, the iconic couple. There is something far greater than armies, something strong enough to topple kings and generals, to crumble nations and birth empires. Blank. He's saying what it is. What is it? Julia? A pause? Yeah, faith. Yes, it was either that or hope, and I couldn't remember which one it was. Good job. This is the last quote. Um, There are other rounds, so don't worry. Um, (laughs) If you haven't gotten any (laughs) points. Um... I'm not your mother, girl, although I suppose blank. No, Bagra says it, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah, Bagra says this to Alina. She says, I'm not your mother. Yeah, uh, popcorn. Is it like, like, although I suppose you don't have one of those or something? Yeah, I suppose you'll always be looking for one of those. Yeah. Close Close enough, I think. That's a mean one. People, like, really... guilt trip alina so much i mean i guess that's not really a guilt trip but they're like i mean i did see like um there was this one video essay where it's like alina is kind of annoying because if she doesn't do this a lot of people continue dying so like to some extent i get the guilt trip you know at the same time she's being like manipulated and forced and lied to so it's but i mean bagger is kind of generally a harsh character so yeah coming from her yesterday the attack on alina is just kind of her like yeah she is like kind of attacking alina with this but that's not like not necessarily as personal as like other people do as some other characters mm-hmm. that's true Bagger's just <laughs> she's not bad but she's mean okay second round two this is the iconic duos round it's pretty short um who are the two summoners Alina befriends at the Little Palace? To be clear, the Darkling is not what I mean. It's a yes, pause. I know it's Marie, and then I don't remember the other one. Okay. Well, I is guess I'll give Genya? one. What? Genya? Genya? Genya is a tailor, not a summoner. Oh. They're... So um, Marie is the firebender inferni that's what they're called and um this other person is a tide maker i believe yeah i don't know their names okay pause one point for marie it's maria and nadia okay iconic duos question two what are the names of the two goats who played milo excuse me (laughs) i sent this to our group chat i hate you i'm gonna look it up which group chat was it (laughs) This is the crow's group chat, I think. Uh, Ergly and Burgly. That's not it. Ergy. Yeah, it's Ugly and Boogly. That. I can't no. It means running and jumping in Hungarian. And apparently one Adorable. of them pooed a lot and the other one screamed a lot. This is what happens when you invite screaming. ghosts. Yeah. They're, they're lucky the that ghosts are like all of the props. Also, you guys definitely aren't going to get this next one. But um, who are the two in my Inej kills? Dave, no, David's the fabricator. Dave. Dave. I do not know the name. Um, they're called. They both start with a P. 
Petra Solano. Okay. <laughs> I know that I know it's vaguely Slavic. Nice. Pavel and Polina. Ew. They I'm not sure they actually say their names in the show, but it's in the credits and it's in the after party if you watch the Netflix after party. Ah. Um final question of this round, who are the two heart renders who ride in the carriage with Alina? Yes, pause. Isn't it Fed, Fed, Fedyo and Ivan? Yes. How and do you just know that? Because they're the, um, they're, uh, the headcanon is that they're, um, I don't know if it's a headcanon or not, but they're like married and I saw a lot of ship art and I thought it was really cute. So they I They feed some. each other at the window. Yeah, they feed each other at the so What kind cute. of brain do you have that allows you to remember this? See, <laughs> my brain is filled up only with media I like and then everything else Same. is gone. Okay, same. This, she's yours to lose, Mister Brecker. It's all yours to lose. Ooh, that was several people at the same time. Popcorn. Uh, Tansy Helene, I believe. Yes, I love that line so much. I was about to say Peacock Lady. (laughs) (laughs) Incorrect. Close enough. Close enough. (laughs) Okay, everyone, put your hands down. Who said this? Oh, you've got no chance. Shadow Man. Yes, Popcorn. I want to say Jesper. No. Dang it. Um, Garfield, any ideas? I was going to say Jesper, but is it Mal? It's Mal, yes. If it's one of the two of them. Yeah, when the Darkling, like, kidnaps him and imprisons him, and he's like, yeah, now I'm going to go get the girl. Like, Alina's going to choose me. And Mal's like, oh, you got Dreams. Shadow man. <laughs> it, was, it was either Jesper or Mal, because that's something both of them would say. Yeah. Yeah, it is definitely. I think it was- yeah. We, we didn't talk that much about Mal, but... Um, eh, he's unimportant. Honestly, he's more interesting than he was in the books, which is good. That's sad. <laughs> Don't ship Darklina, but he's kind of not. Like, he's kind of just kind of there. Well... Yeah, like he- yeah, I would say he's more interesting in the show because you actually get to see him, whereas he's like not in the books very much, like in the first book very much. But he's also a lot less toxic than he was in the books. Like in the books, he was super possessive of Alina. Yeah. yeah. Wait, so in the books, does she have no good relationships at all? Pretty much. That's yeah. what it sounds like. They're I haven't read those. Only read Six of Crows. That's correct. Yeah, in the book, they're both bad options. Like, I was just like, just go with. I don't remember which girl I shipped her with, but I was like, go with her or a good, like just go with her better don't worry yeah. just, you know what i i ship alina and self-love yes she needs it <laughs> yep okay third quote you'll learn to like being happy genya no yeah. Ly- uh lavender the darkling no should i do the actual- oh nina yes <laughs> Um, oh. we should go live on the wandering isle and Matthias is like the people there are infernally happy and she's <laughs> like you'll learn to like being happy and it's really cute. so emo he is so emo <laughs> like him I'll believe as a teenager yeah, I'll believe yeah. it oh yeah okay who said this and there are two answers and if you get them both I guess I'll give you two points I should go uh, popcorn no. Is um, one of them Jester? No. Is no, one, one of them No, one of them's Alina. One yeah. of them's Alina. Uh, Lavender, what's the other one? Sorry, I was going to say Alina. 
Is the other the Darkling? No. Mal? Yeah, you guys Mal just guessed all the um, possible <laughs> answers, so I'm only going to give pause one point because you guys just guessed everyone. Wait, are you actually keeping track of this? Yeah, but um, so basically when Zoe is like flirting with Mal, he's like, I should go. And when the Darkling and Alina are kind of flirting, she's like, I should go. And I just, it's just, it's just cute. They say the same thing, you see? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very cute. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who says this? Well, he don't do nudes, so I never heard of him. I don't remember. Roddy. Julia, please remember to raise your hand in the future. But yes, that's Wait, Roddy's Roddy. in the season? I did not. He's the guy at the crow club. They're asking about the decapel. Okay. Thank you. Okay. I'm not good with names at all. Yeah, no. He's a very minor character. Who said this? I am his soldier. Uh, Popcorn. Again, yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. I don't, I know like some of these lines are like really short and they don't seem that interesting, but like, they're like really impactful moments in the show or like they have interesting parallels and that's why I chose them. I don't know, like, cause, cause this is the moment where Alina's like, dude, you, you shouldn't be doing what the, well, she doesn't say dude, but she should. She's like, dude, oh, dude. darkling dude. And Jenny is like, dude, I'm his soldier. <laughs> like, I, I job to question also- my job real to- question is it, what real question is it pronounced genya or genya like i actually don't know i have no idea i'm gonna say it genya i, I say it alternately every time yeah same <laughs> just to be annoying g-man <laughs> yeah <laughs> said this if i can't crack this we're not going anywhere pause Technically, Kaz, but then he nudged later. Yay! Okay, I'll give you both the points. Wow, pause. You're kind of dominating now. I really like that. I reblogged several gift sets of that on Tumblr. Christ. I'm obsessive. You know this. You're very aware of this. Okay, who said this? I don't have to kill you. Your past will do it for me. Um, uh, Lavender. Now said that to the Darkling. Yes. Oh my god, Thief. Was that the first time you raised your hand? I'm sorry. Yes. Good job. I wasn't going to get it right, but I knew the, the Darkling was involved. <laughs> Good job. How do you over have like the space? This is all I care about. Uh, also, Juice Lover hasn't stopped about this for the last two months. All like, you absorb there. stuff. There, um, my brain is just full of face and verb. It's a good thing to be full the of. The same yeah. way your brain is filled with Phineas and Ferb, Juice Lovers is filled with Shadow and Bone. Okay, wait. This is a question just for Alfredo, just to see if she can answer one. Oh, no. Okay. Who said this? Were you born a prick or was it a choice? Oh, wait. That was like Nina. Yay! Woo! Wow, I'm so sorry. Celebration noises! Yay, you got a point. We're all proud. Yay, you can't see it. Like obviously, it's not uh, audio, but I'm putting the celebration thingy up on this thing. Yeah, <laughs> first episode you ever tried Zoom, so uh, we'll see how this goes. Okay, how about this one? It will take more than this. Uh, popcorn. Probably wrong, but Bagra. Close but wrong. Uh, lavender. Darkling. 
Yeah, he says it when um, Inej throws a knife in his chest and he like pulls. Dang it, that was my second guess. Like, I really should have killed him. I'm sorry. It will take more than this. It's like, oh, oh my god, it makes him sound southern. Probably hasn't watched that yet. But what? popcorn, have you watched that yet? Um, I think. Oh yeah, I think I have. Okay. Yeah, I definitely have. It what? I like. Oh, context. I I'm like ten minutes away from finishing the whole series. I'm like like ten to two minutes left in the last episode. I'm prepared. Mm-hmm. Okay, who said this? I think you will suffer more. A lavender. It's too uh imagine some kind of like soothsayer or something. No, not exactly. It's too okay. is my hint. And I, I'll give you what more if you want. Um the I think the full quote is something like, um, people hate the Grisha because they think they have not suffered. But you have suffered. I think you will suffer more. Mina? Uh, popcorn? I'm going to do this again and probably get it wrong. Bagra? No. But again, close. And it's Is not it the like duckling? No. Oh, okay. Oh, lavender. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, lavender, do you want to answer? Or do you want to let um, Garfield answer? Garfield, who is it? Uh, the darkling's not wife person. What? <laughs> the darkling's oh. wife not wife person? Who's the Darkling's that? flashback girlfriend? Yes, the- oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no! This person is talking to Alina. It's right. Oh yeah, um, Al Alfredo. Is it like the librarian guy? Yes, he's not a librarian, <laughs> but good job. <laughs> he's the apparat. He's like the um king's faith counselor person. Wife, not wife. And he's the creepiest person ever. <laughs> And he's definitely the Darkling's wife, although that would be an interesting ship. Alina goes with a high-handed bookcase. Okay, two more quotes. I hate the way you talk. Lavender? Matthias? Yeah. He sent that to Nina. Who else did he even speak to? Yeah, I should (laughs) have. I should have guessed that. Final quote. Shut up, Jasper. (laughs) Cass. Um... Garfield. Inej? Wait, okay, wait. I'm very confused because you all raised your hand, but you guys, can you use the hand raising thing? I'm going to give one to um, Garfield and one to Popcorn because you both got it right. They say it. Although Paz was aggressively giving me the number two because I think she knew that. It's both of them because it's my favorite scene because first they do like one of those sitcom things where it's like, well, that went well flashback to horrible things happening and it's like jesper like, we can stay here open a bar and both kaz and you are like shut up jesper it's so fun. i love at the same time jesper. shut up jesper listen that so beginning good. scene where they're exhausted and they have to go find a man is my favorite scene and it's so funny i love it it's sitcom it's sitcom but angsty and i love it isn't that just the crows in a nutshell yes okay this round is about world building there's more there's more. Wait, Garfield, do you have to go to Garfield, do you have to go? Yeah, I have to go speed, speed round, okay. Where did Mal and Alina grow up? Yell it out. Ramson. Ramson. Orphanage. Ramson. Ramson. <laughs> Orphanage. I'm technically right. 
What country is Ketterdam in? Kerch. Kerch. Kerch, yes. That was the language. That was the name of the country. Weird. Where does Nina suggest she and Matthias go to live? Wandering Wandering Isles. I don't know who said that first. I'm giving it to a couple people. You guys can do it. Um, Name all three orders of Grisha. Christ. My mom just can't move that fast. I think we already Sorry. gave us the answer at the beginning of the podcast, so. Yeah. Well, I was going to have my brain, you. My brain just does not work on hyperspeed. I names, but I figure we're low on time. So what's the Fjordan word for witch? D-R-U-S-G-E. Yeah, yeah, that's yes. Tell me when you're spelling. Okay, is the winter? What does M E R Z O S T mean? Merzost. I don't know. Hello. The darkling uses it. Goodbye. Alcohol. Insert Jeopardy music here. Hello. Goodbye. That's all I think of. Magic, but it also means abomination, and he uses it to create the fold because the small signs is all about manipulating and not creating things, but about creating things which is why it's super cool mm. he says like i made something which seems like just a random line but actually like it's really significant because that's not supposed to be possible anyway and it's both magic and and the fold is both an abomination and magic yeah connection what does otkazatsia mean non-magic peasant <laughs> um <laughs> you're non-magical peasant <laughs> Yeah, basically anyone who isn't Grisha is Odkazatsya, but the literal translation means abandoned, and it also interestingly means orphan. Shout out to our favorite orphan. Um, what god do the Fjordans worship? Joe. 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 Yeah. pens. Which I mentioned earlier. Is that how it's pronounced? <laughs> okay, last one in this round, and the last round is super short, so don't even worry. Oh no. Is sacred to the Fjordans. Ash. Ash. Okay, last round, miscellaneous. What are the lessons mouse... Okay, use the hands up thing for this one, because... Okay. What are the lessons mouse says orphans learned in Karemzin? Pause. Keep a knife, keep a weapon on you at all times, hide your emotional breakdown for when you're in private. Yeah. Um, You started raising your hand before I finished the question. I knew what you were going to... Listen, it's it's paralleled. I know this one. Exactly. And then he says... I love, the third one I love I Garf. remember. I love Garfield's face. She looks so distressed. (laughs) Um, When Jesper sums up the mission, what does he say they learned? Uh, Lavender. The the important thing is the true friends we met around the way. And Ben and I says, oh, that's so sweet. And he says, I met Milo, of course. Yes, that's one of the things he says. Does anyone have another thing that he says? Or should I recite the scene from memory? You do it. (laughs) How many times you see the show? People you appreciate that one. Lavender, the hand down. People with trains are evil. You can't kidnap a human sunbeam. And maybe, just maybe, greed is a poor motivator. The true wealth is the friends we made along the way. Then Inej says, I just might be impressed. And he says, I'm speaking of Milo, of course. I can't believe they, maybe the real treasure were the friends we made along the way to us and then also made it completely sincere. I love this show. I know. <laughs> okay. How many knives does Inez remove when she meets with Helene? Leah. Uh, uh, 13. Yay. Yeah. So, like the tray only has like 12 or something. Yeah. Or 11 and then she, like, I thought it was either 40 or 14. I didn't know he was 13. 
Yeah, it's 13. It's she gets one more towards the end. She gets a 14th. Yeah. Oh, okay. From St. Salina. Okay. Second to last question. Why does Zoya volunteer to steer the skiffs? Uh, Garfield? She has a death wish. <laughs> no? Popcorn? This is something about, like, her family's on the other side of the fold. Yeah, she has family in Novokovirsk. I mean, Garfield does have a point, though. Yeah. <laughs> Our final question is... Drum roll, please. What is Nina Zenik's truest love? Leah. Oh. Waffles. Yes, waffles. Mine too. We tally up the points. One, two. It's a good true love. It actually got Wolf on the show, and that was that made me very happy. Okay. Pause has thirteen. Not surprised. I think she won. Good job. With Lavender as a close second. With how many points? I think it's 11. I can't count. Um, Ooh, count then. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. Yes. That is the second. Garfield and Popcorn are tied, and surprise, surprise, Alfredo comes in last. Wait, but how many points do we have? I'm surprised we tied. Like, that's actually so surprising. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight for Popcorn and Garfield. Oh, that's oh, a lot I'm better surprised. than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I know. Same. <laughs> um, and uh, if anyone's curious, Alfredo has two. <laughs> Yay. Wait, she has two? Yay. I thought she had one. Buy two points. Did you even watch the show? No, she won't. It's impressive, but you have any. And she answered another one. Well, good job. You absorbed it through osmosis. First, I think I should get a ninth point for Death Wish. She should. Interesting <laughs> proposition. <laughs> that breaks the tie, and I'm in favor of that. So. Good job, guys. Do we have anything else to. Oh, wait, can we finish up saying what we want from season Juiced. two? Joost, or Yoast? Ooh, Jost. Give me Wyland or give me. Well, yeah, we are. Never. It's already confirmed. Not that. Give me Wesper. Give me Wesper. Yes, please, Wesper content. Pilot on. Pilot on like Nina and her waffles. Don't have juiced content confirmed yet, so I would appreciate some juiced content. Also, I need Wyland being jealous of the goat. I need it in my life. The fan fictions are adorable. Just but wow. the goat's not in the crow picture anymore. How does? No, we've got logically. Milo will be in season two, but really, what I want is them talking about Milo like he's Jesper's lost love, and Wyland oh, and Wyland getting like why? Wyland being like, "Who's Milo?" No. Like with that like innocent face Wyland has. Yes. Oh jeez, yeah. Also, your expression. Should we close out? I'm excited for Kanej flashbacks, please. And some the the twins, Tamar and Tolia, who are on Sturmhan's crew and they're both half shoe, so hopefully they get some positive. Um I'm so tired. I am very excited for Nikolai. He was my favorite character in Shadow and Bone in the books because he was the only one with a sense. Let me send a picture of Tamar to the group. Okay, uh, I think we should close out because I'm very tired. It's 1130. Yeah, we should. Um, Garfield, can, you have to go, right? Yeah, I can do the ending credit thing because Zelda's not here.
No, technically that would be Alfredo because uh, she's taking the place of. Does Zelda Alfredo know the ending? Uh, no. Alfredo, do you want to do it? Okay. Okay, I should do it. Okay, wait. What do I say? Say it again. This has been Reader's Guide to the Galaxy. So long, and thanks for all the books. Okay. This has been Reader's Guide to the Galaxy. So long, and thank you for all the books. Reader's Guide to the Galaxy is a Yuhai Book Club production. This episode is written by Juice Lover and produced, edited, and directed by Paws. It features the voices of Juice Lover, Paws, Garfield, Popcorn, Lavender, and Alfredo. Our theme is composed by Lavender and Alfredo, and our cover art is done by a resident podcast hater. If you have listened this far, thank you so much for listening, and have a lovely day.